heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he brings. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face on certain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. And because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Thank you. Well, I've been waiting all week for today. I've heard a lot of people sing a cappella, but Roy does not need music. He is the music, isn't he? He truly is the music. After Dan gives his testimony, a lot of people want to know, well, what about Rebecca? Um, Somebody said one time, do you ever feel like an appendage? And I said, no, not really. I said, when we were first married and we first started pastoring, everybody would introduce me. This is the pastor's wife. It's like I didn't have a name. This is the pastor's wife. This is our pastor's wife. And so one day I said, I have a name, and my name is Rebecca. Just say, this is Rebecca, the pastor's wife. So I don't really ever feel like I'm invisible anymore. I used to feel that way when I was a young pastor's wife. 
But like Dan, I was raised in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. That's all I had ever known. That the teachings I learned in the church was all I had ever been taught. And I loved the Pentecostal Holiness Church. I had the same pastor from the day I was born until I went off to college. 18 years. His name was J. Albert Taylor. Brother Taylor was five feet tall. He was very short. He was married. He had 11 children. I know. Wow. We've lived in Utah, and, and for Utah as well. But um, Brother Taylor was the sweetest, the kindest, the most giving, the most loving preacher I had ever known. And I, in my girlish thinking, thought that every preacher was just like Brother Taylor. So when I was seven years old, I told my neighbor, she asked me, she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to go to college and I want to marry a preacher. And out of six children that my mother and dad had, I was the only one that went to college and graduated. And I did marry a preacher. Now, Dan's not like Brother Taylor. I won't say how he's different, but he's not like Brother Taylor. First of all, he's taller. <laughs> but um, I haven't been disappointed, Mary and Dan. Well, most of you know that um, Dan and I met in school about the third or fourth day that I was at Holmes, and I know he told you about Rule 12 where we couldn't communicate, we couldn't talk, we couldn't look, we couldn't do anything, really. Um, we were just, we just went there. They, they wanted the emphasis to be on you getting your education. That's why you were there, and that's why they had such strict rules, so that you would spend your time studying the Bible. Because you took Bible for a whole year and you had one test and if you did not pass that test you had to go back another year to make up that that Bible course so it was imperative that I study really hard and a lot of people I always thought that it was so funny that they thought I was so smart and it wasn't that I was so smart because I was starting in January studying for that Bible test in May and some of the girls would wait until like two or three nights before and they stay up all night long and they just study and study and study. And they would pass because they were much smarter than I was. But I had been studying from January until May. So when I took my Bible test, I was prepared. And um, that was probably the smartest thing I did because everybody at school thought that I was kind of a smart girl. And because I write books and I got a text the other day, and this lady told me, she said, you're so smart, and you're so talented, and you're so this, and you're so that. And I texted her back, and I said, Pat, I said, you know, I'm not any smarter than you are. 
I'm just smart enough to do the things that I want to do. And if I, I, I said, if you want to write a book, you can write a book. We can manage to do the things we want to do. Anyway, I saw Dan walking down the sidewalk from behind. I didn't see his face. I saw him from behind, and it sparked an interest. He walked so tall, and he held himself so straight. I'd never seen anybody walk so straight in my life. And um, so I asked my roommate to come over to the window, and she came over, and she looked, and I said, who is that man down there? Who's that guy down there? She says, I don't know, but you don't need to know either. But I can tell you by 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock that night when lights were out, I knew as much about Dan Gerard as I could know without sitting down and asking Dan Gerard all the questions I asked everybody else at school that had ever heard of him or knew him. And so for three years, I had this crush on Dan, and finally at Christmas time, he came to see me. And um, he didn't tell you, though, when he asked me to marry him, he said I made him wait. I did ask him a question. I said, are you going to be an evangelist? And he said, no, I'm going to be a pastor. And I said, okay, I'll marry you. Because I was not going to marry an evangelist. How many years have you been an evangelist? A long time. time. I've stayed at home all by myself with the children. I've stayed at home all by myself with the children grown and married. But I didn't want to marry an evangelist because I would see as a little girl they'd come into church and then they would leave. And I just wanted more stability than that. But anyway, I even, I've not been disappointed in that either because I'm married to Dan. Well, as you know, he had studied for about 10 or 11 years, and I had not studied the Adventist message. I knew nothing Absolutely nothing about Adventists when I came into the church. Other than they went to church on Saturday, and I thought every one of them did not eat meat, which I found out later that was not true. But um, after we had um, gone over the uh, doctrines of the church, the 27 Articles of Faith, And by the way, they were just reading these one by one, and Dan and I were sitting close to each other. I think he was not sitting right. We weren't right together, but I would look at Dan, and if he said yes, I said yes. I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I knew nothing about the state of the dead. I knew nothing about 1844. I knew nothing, nothing, nothing. But I was saying yes because I thought, well, if Dan knows it and he's saying yes, it should be right. That's a lot of faith in somebody, isn't it? But anyway, we went to Keene to the camp meeting. And um, first camp meeting, first religious service I had been in. And um, I was standing outside, and of course, John and Renee were, John um, McFarlane and Renee Keesby were trying to introduce Dan to every one of the pastors and the the leaders of the church, I keep forgetting you're over here. I'm sorry. But they were, um, he, they were trying to get him to meet as many people as he could that night. And I'm standing there, and I'm just watching. And I'm just looking at these women going in. Now, I could tell that some of them 
could very well afford jewelry if they wanted to wear it, but they didn't have jewelry on. I noticed that. And I just kept looking at them. So when we got home, I told Dan, I said, Dan, no, on the way home, I said, Dan, did you notice those women at the meeting? And he said, no. I said, well, that was really a good answer, but I wanted, I wanted him to notice that they were, did not wear jewelry. And I said, well, you know, they didn't have on any jewelry. It may be a little necklace or a little earring here and there, but nothing extravagant like I had on. And uh, I said, um, you know, they had kind of an elegant simplicity about them. And I said, I want to look like that. I want to be like that. And so I went home and I took off my jewelry, which I had on a lot because at the meeting, as we were going in to be seated, Renee said, our seat's way up at the front. <laughs> and I was walking down the aisle and I had my hand up here and I was trying to cover up my bracelets and everything because I, I didn't have nowhere to put them. I didn't have a purse, so I had to wear them. And I was trying to cover up everything. And like I even thought people were looking at me anyway. I mean, but anyway, I did take my jewelry off, and no one had to say a word to me. Jesus did that. And you know what I learned from that? We don't have to tell people how to live. All we have to do is introduce them to Jesus and let them fall in love with him, and he is perfectly capable of taking away anything that needs to be taken away and add anything that needs to be added. He's a... He watches out for every little thing to make us exactly what we need to be. So after Dan and I were baptized, we were living in Keene. And before we got to Keene, we were in Irving, Texas. And I stayed awake all night long the night before because we had been to Keene a couple of times. And all I had seen parked over there was those big trucks with three angels on the sides. Have you ever seen one of those trucks? They have the three angels on the side and has the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I knew that our church people were going to come and help us load up. And I, I just could, all I could see was that big truck driving up with three angels on it and the Seventh-day Adventist church. Because we had chosen not to tell them the church we were going to. We just told them we had accepted another position at another church and so I just could not sleep and so when I was in the kitchen I won't ever forget and I heard the air brakes of this truck have you ever heard the air brakes you know it that makes a unique sound and I ran to the living room and I was almost afraid to look out and I looked out and there was this truck and it had absolutely nothing on it not one word not one angel, not one anything. It was plain. And so I said something to the driver. I said, oh, I am so glad you didn't come with one of those trucks with all them angels on it. <laughs> Remember, I'm a new Adventist. And um, he said, oh, no, ma'am. He said, when we know we're moving a pastor that's pastoring another church into to our 
church, one of our churches, we always go in a plain truck because we don't want to create any problems. You see how good God is at working on the truck drivers. I mean, he's not only working on me, but he's working on the truck drivers. God is so good. And so we got to Keene, and, um, and I met Mr. Kimbrough. Does anybody know Mr. Kimbrough? He, he was the president of the bank there. And um, we had been there just several days, wasn't it, honey, that I started looking for work because we, we didn't have any money. And Dan wasn't going to get paid. Dan wasn't going to get paid until the end of the month. And we maybe had $20. And it was like the second week of the month. So I needed to find some work. And so I went over to the bank. I had never done any, anything with a bank, and I'm so bad with numbers. And the only question he asked me was, Mr. Kimbrough, he said, Rebecca, do you balance your checkbook? And I said, oh, no, Dan does that. He leaned back in his chair, and he says, well, you know, Mr. Gerard, I really don't think that we have anything that we can hire you for here he says, you don't have any real experience. And he said, after all, you are a nurse. And I said, well, I took some algebra and some math. I mean, you know, I can add and subtract. And he said, well, he said, right now we don't have a position. But he said, I want to help you. And he put a $50 bill in front of me. And I said, oh, I can't take that. And he said, Yes, you can. He said, part of my missions is to help people when I know that there is a genuine need. And he said, you have to let me help you. And I thought of something that an older minister told us, told me when I was really, really young in, um, in the ministry. And he said, Rebecca, there are times that people want to give you things. He said, it may be something nice. It may be something not nice. It may be something clean. It may be something that's not so clean. It may be something that you love and something that you have absolutely no use for at all. He said, but never, ever turn them down. Because God may be working on their heart to help them to give. So... I stood up and I said, well, I'm going to take this since it's part of your mission work. And I took it home and I walked in and I told Dan, I said, well, I didn't get a job. But I got this. And Dan said, what did you do? (laughs) I said, I don't know what you're thinking, but I didn't do anything. I said, out of the goodness of his heart, Mr. Kimbrough gave me this money. Well, he suggested I go over to the school. There's a public school there in Keene, but most of the people that work there are Adventists. The principal is an Adventist. The assistant principal is an Adventist. All the teachers are Adventists. So it might as well be an Adventist school. So I went over there. And um, they said, well, you know, we don't, I could substitute teach. I'm a nurse. I could substitute teach. And, 
And they said, well, we don't need a substitute teacher. We have several that stay on call all the time, and we've been using those people for a long time. She said, but you know what? Uh, Mr. Kimbrough talked to me about you, and she said, I'm going to give you a job, and it's an entry level, and it's very low paying. And I think it was like six, what was 30 years ago, 37 years ago, what was minimum wage? That's what it was, minimum wage. And um, I, we just needed money to eat. I, I mean, that's all I kept thinking about. We needed to eat. I had two children. And $6.25 was better than zero. So I took it, and what I did was I just made copies for the teachers. I, I did uh, a lot of paperwork for them and uh, got things together for them and all for their activities and things like that. So I stayed busy. But one day I went into the office and I had a little cubby hole, like everybody, a cubby hole, everybody had a little cubby hole where people could put stuff in to give them messages or give them things that they needed. And anyway, um, there was a book in there and it was a, I could tell it was an old book and the title of it was how Adventist ministers' wives are to uh, act and present themselves. Well, I could tell that book was old. I mean, old. And I just thumbed through it, and it, it was the pages were yellow, so it was old. And all these women had on these long dresses, had their hair up in buns, and had on these necklines up to here. And I thought, well... That doesn't pertain to me. So the first time I laid it on the table. Well, the next day I went back and it was in my box again. And so this time, and I don't even know who wrote it. I mean, Ellen White could have written it, but it wouldn't have made any difference because I didn't really at that point in time understand really who Ellen White was. And so um, I... um, (laughs) I threw it in the trash. I just didn't know what else to do because I didn't want to take it home. So the third day, it was out of the trash and in my box again. (laughs) So I stuck it in my bag and I took it home. I put it in the trash. I didn't want to read that book because if I'd read that book, And then I couldn't live up to that book. I would have been a more miserable Adventist than I already was. So some things, you know, we should read and some things we don't need to read. I did not want to feel any less inferior than I already felt to other pastor's wives. Well, we were at home one day and... Dan said, and this was like the first or the beginning of the second week we were there, and Dan said, oh, John's coming over today, and he'll be here for lunch. And I thought, okay, what, what are we going to do? I mean, I didn't know how to cook a vegetarian meal. I'd never cooked a vegetarian meal. I'd never even heard of a vegetarian meal until I heard about Dan joining the church. And so all I could think about was I've got some tomatoes, I've got stripples, and I've got lettuce, and i got bread. 
And by the way, the bread, and we know, I never told John this, the bread. I had gone to the store the Friday before, and it was sundown, and I didn't really understand the concept of sundown yet. I'd only been in Adventist for two weeks now. Friday night was just Friday night. And I looked in the cupboard. We didn't have any bread. And so I thought, well, I'll run to Cleburne real quick and I'll get some bread. And so I was standing there reading the bread to make sure there was nothing in it that Dan wouldn't eat. And I couldn't find a loaf of bread that did not have lard in it as a um, ingredient. And so I, I glanced up, and it was dark outside. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, no, it's Sabbath. I've got to get back to Keene. And so I just bought a loaf of bread, and I brought it home. And Dan is very neat and organized. I don't know whether you've noticed that about him, but he's one of the most organized people in the world. And I'm not, so that's why we get along. And um, so... At the, on the top of the trash in the trash can, he had folded a bag that we had gotten bread from at the Keene store, the uh, vegetarian food store. And it was just folded nice and neat right there on top of the trash. So he was gone, and I took that bread out of that loaf, and I stuffed it in that bag from the Keene store. And I think I told him about three years later I did that. (laughs) I can keep a secret. But anyway, it was lunchtime, and so I made stripple lettuce and tomato sandwiches for Dan. John ate it, and he said he had never had a stripple lettuce and tomato sandwich before. And he wanted another one, so I gave him another one. And so after he left, I come in the living room and I told Dan, I said, Dan, I can cook a vegetarian meal. (laughs) He said, no, you can't, Rebecca. You didn't cook a thing. (laughs) I did. I heated up the uh, strips. (laughs) But anyway, it it was kind of fun, in a way, learning. After I got to know the people, um... It was fun learning about them. But that same night after I had gotten home with the loaf of bread, my phone rang. And this lady said, Miss Gerard, I know that you haven't been in the church long, but you need to know right up front and right away that Keene Community is not your babysitter. That had never entered my mind, that the Keene community was not my babysitter. My children were at her house, and it was sundown. I'd been so busy trying to get bread in a bag, I didn't even think about my children. And so she said, you need to come and pick up Salome and Shalimar. So I got in my car, and... I drove to her house, and it was dark. By now, it was really dark. 
And my children were standing on the sidewalk. And I remember leaning over and opening the door. And I looked in her house, and her family was on their knees praying. But my children were standing in the dark on the sidewalk. And I was so hurt. And I cried all the way home, and Salome kept saying, Mommy, why are you crying? Mommy, what's wrong? And I said, she says, we're okay, we're okay. But I wasn't okay. I was not okay with that. Anyway, the next Sabbath came, and I went in, And I sat down on a pew, and there was about eight other people on the pew. And when I sat down, they all got up and moved somewhere else. And um, that afternoon, we went home with Larry and Shirley Engel, and they became our very best friends while we were living in Keene. And I was telling Larry about that, and he said, Oh, Rebecca, he said, they probably thought that you were going to have a Pentecostal fit. I said, I never had a Pentecostal fit in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. And I know God in his great mercy and love and knowledge would never let me have one in an Adventist church. I mean, I just could not believe he had said that. But... You know, the devil's at work in our hearts, and he wants us to not be everything that we should be. And so I felt lost and very disconnected, not from God, but from people. And I went to a church where there were thousands of people every Sabbath, and I sat there lost. And for a few Sabbaths, I even wouldn't even go into the sanctuary because I didn't want people to get up and leave. I have a hard time with rejection. I mean, some people can be rejected and it doesn't bother them, but I stress over it if I think somebody's going to reject me. So I went up to Renee's on Monday, and I said, Renee, I said, I'm going to take Salome and Shalimar, and I'm going to leave and go to North Carolina. If Dan wants to be an Adventist, He can stay here and be an Adventist, but I do not want to be an Adventist. I just want to go home. I just wanted to go where people love me. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to go where I knew and felt like people loved me. And so Renee talked to me for a while, and he said, Rebecca, give it six months, just six months. He says, and I promise you, In six months, if you still want to go to Wilson, I will see that you get there. I will pay for you and the children to go home. Such a wise man. Instead of trying to just talking me out of it, he gave me options. And he gave me time. So I went back, and I didn't tell Dan that I had talked to Renee And Renee didn't tell Dan that he had talked to me. Because Renee was my pastor. He was the pastor and we were the associate pastor. And so um, on Monday, I 
walked up on the college campus and I know some of you have been to the Keene campus and there's a mural up there and it's one of Mrs. White's visions and there's a road and it's leading up and God is on his throne and Jesus is on his throne beside him and there's people walking up the road and some of them are falling off to the side but yet the ones that were not falling off were the ones that kept their eyes on Jesus and they just kept looking at the throne. They kept looking at God. None of them were falling off. It was only the people who had strayed to the right or to the left. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, quit looking at people. Just keep looking at me because I'm watching you. So I sat there and I I cried and I prayed. And it was just such a wonderful revelation, such a small revelation, but a wonderful revelation. And I went back home and I had a new heart. And You know what? All of a sudden, everybody in the church was so friendly to me. (laughs) You know, I think the Lord not only worked on my heart, but he was working on everybody else's heart. And I don't know whether Renee told some key people that they needed to talk to people and tell them to be nicer to Rebecca or or be more loving toward Rebecca. And... uh, I don't know what happened, but I know that something happened not only to me, but to everybody at the King Church, all those thousands of people. Something happened. God is, is so capable of changing circumstances. Well, later on that week, Dan was asleep. It's like 11.30 or 12 o'clock, and I was just sitting there thinking. I was just sitting on the bed thinking, where's my grandma? Where's... They say that she's, she's not in heaven. Where is she? So I shook Dan and I said, Dan, Dan. He said, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, nothing's wrong, Dan. Tell me where grandma is. And he said, Rebecca, we'll do this tomorrow. I said, no, no. You're going to tell me right now where my grandma is. And so he sat up and he got his Bible and he gave me a Bible lesson on the state of the dead. And I thought... Well, that makes more sense than anything I've ever heard. <laughs> and you know what? As, as I began to learn all these truths, everything I learned, everything I learned made perfect sense. More sense than anything I had ever heard before. So for me, at this point in time, giving up was not an option. I had no option but to stay and try to become the very best Christian and the very best Seventh-day Adventist Christian that I could possibly be. At home, I have a little sign. Dan hasn't put it up yet, and he, he will put it up eventually for me. <laughs> I think he thinks it's kind of stupid because 
It has some, the same thing written on it three times. But for some people, it takes three times or more. But um, it says, three lessons in life everyone needs to learn. Lesson number one, be kind. Lesson number two, be kind. Lesson number three, be kind. He asked me one time, why did you buy a sign that has be kind on it three times? <laughs> I said, look where it's at, Dan. It's on your, right before you walk into your study. <laughs> I tease him all the time. He is kind. But I think when people come in from another church, we shouldn't say, oh, we're glad that you have finally found the truth. I knew a lot of truth before I came into this church. I knew that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And Brother Taylor told me that. My mother told me that. My, my, my Sabbath school, my Sunday school teacher Little Estelle told me that, and Estelle was crippled. She could hardly walk. She had um, crippling arthritis. But she taught me the love of Jesus. I knew everything. I knew all the basics before I ever became an Adventist. And I didn't come into the truth. I came into more truth. My mama used to say, there's a reason why people act the way they do. And as an example, my dad had such a hard time with me being an Adventist. He said, yeah, you, you married Dan, and he made you be an Adventist. And I said, no, Daddy, he did not make me be an Adventist. Dan doesn't generally make me do anything. Um, not that I'm stubborn. I, he just doesn't offer to make me do anything. He just makes strong suggestions. That's a better word. And um, anyway... Um, he said, yeah, he said, you just turned your back on everything your mama ever taught you. You turned your back on the, the Pentecostal church, and you turned your back on Brother Taylor. I saw my daddy in church one time my whole life, and that's when his daddy died. No, twice, when his mama died and his daddy died. Now, here's a man who didn't go to church, who didn't profess Christianity. He was angry with me because I was in another church. And he said, what about all your mother ever taught you? What about what Brother Taylor preached to you all those years? And I said, Daddy, I said, everything I am today is because of that. Everything. I said, Mama taught me to love Jesus. I said, I can never not do that. I said, Brother Taylor taught me the Bible as best he knew. And I learned a lot from Brother Taylor. I learned the fruits of the Spirit, how to be kind and how to be good and how to be patient and how to be long-suffering. I said, and Mama taught me those things too. I said, Daddy, I just feel like there's more out there for me at this time in my life. And you see, my daddy was angry because he thought I'd turned my back on his wife, my mother, and Brother Taylor, who was the only preacher he ever really knew and respected, and the church. But I hadn't done that. I had 
just come into more truth. We should be very careful about what we say about other people's beliefs. We shouldn't make fun of them. You know, people used to say, oh, you're one of those shouting people and you speak in other tongues and you run in the church. And I said, no, no, I don't do that. I mean, not everybody does that in the Pentecostal in this church. And be non-judgmental. You know the reason why we're not allowed to judge? Because we just see snippets. God sees the whole picture. We just see one little frame, and we want to judge somebody on that one little frame. Aren't you glad that God sees the whole picture? Because how many of you, like me, have failed? We all have failed and come short of the glory of God, haven't we? And then be understanding they may be struggling. They really may be struggling. A lot of people didn't understand how much I was struggling. Not even Dan, because it was a private struggles. I couldn't talk to him about it. He was so excited about being an Adventist, and I didn't want to rain on his parade. And I couldn't talk to the church people because I didn't want them to think that I was... um, not supporting him, and I couldn't talk to my family because they thought I had totally lost my mind. So it was a private struggle for me. And I can tell you the best thing you can do as an Adventist when new Adventists come into the church, and that is be like Christ. Just simply be like Christ and do what he would do. And I think he would just accept them and know in his heart, oh, you've got so much to learn (laughs) and you're going to love what you're going to learn. Our hymn of response is page 516, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Oh 
Father, as we leave this place today, we leave with the assurance that you are with us every step of the way. Father, we thank you that we all have a story to tell, and one day, soon and very soon, heaven will become a reality, and we will be able to hear the stories of how you have led in lives. But until the end, Help us, Lord, to remember that we're all on that journey, and there are other people on journeys as well. Help us to be like Jesus as we encounter each other so that the journey may become sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. In Christ's name, amen.